Hey everybody, thank you for hitting the download and subscribe button on iTunes and Google Play. This is Steven Jensen, you're listening to the Fight Talk Podcast. Today I have Jason Hart on the show of MMA On Point. Uh, we're gonna become a pretty good buddy of mine. I mean, I don't get to meet a whole lot of people that are obsessed with MMA, especially those who live near me. He's uh, from Clarksville, Tennessee. I live in Nashville, pretty much the same city for the all intents and purposes. Um... Jason, just so that people know a little bit more about MMA on point, uh, just tell my listeners, because I've, I've told them a bit about you guys, but I mean, your YouTube channel is really, really taken off and you got more stuff coming, you know, kind of on the horizon. So first of all, thank you for joining us and, you know, tell us, tell us uh, a little bit about MMA on point, man. Yeah. Thanks, Steven. Um, yeah. So MMA on point is just kind of a cross venture between me and myself, Tom Ransom, who's actually a UK guy. Um, we had started doing work um, actually for a UK YouTube company, and um, we had a really good working relationship. And uh, we just kind of realized that there was a void for quality content on MMA stuff, specifically on YouTube. And for whatever reason, there's just been no high production values for anything. And people have done top ten lists, they've done things like that. And uh, one notable exception to all that is definitely the Montage King. You know, that guy absolutely killed it for a really long time. Um, but nobody really took it on full force or uploaded often or anything like that. And coming from our backgrounds, we're very, very, very active, um, just kind of on the YouTube scene. And we also just so happened to be nuts about MMA, so we decided to spend the time uh, to actually develop everything, develop a logo, develop our own sounds, and really try to interject our own personality into it too. So you hear a lot of our really crappy jokes and all that kind of stuff on there. And, we really just kind of try to get into the sport a little bit further than most people have, and um, yeah, it's it's been incredible. So we're we're at about four, I guess almost five months now, you could say, and um, we're approaching uh, fifty five thousand. We should hit fifty five thousand subscribers today. So. Dude, that's really huge, man. Here. That that's that's so insane, man. Like, because you don't hear about that happening often with like a startup YouTube channel, like catching that much steam so quickly. So. I mean, I'm, I'm so happy for you guys, man. And anyone listening to this, he's not kidding. I mean, these are high production, high quality, and they're good lists. I mean, for any MMA fan, there's a lot of really cool stuff. Like, I actually watched a video, uh, I guess it was a couple days back. I, th- I don't know if it was the newest list you guys had put out, but it was the uh, the uh, Lineal Heavyweight Championship, uh, the UFC oh, Lineal yeah. Heavyweight Championship. And I thought that was amazing because I, I love – you know, the, the history of lineal championships is something people don't really talk about often. And I had no idea until I watched the video, like, holy shit, like the lineal UFC champion actually is the lineal UFC champion right now. Like Stipe actually holds that. And and so I got some education on that too myself, even though I, I mean, I was watching it back then when, you know, Josh Barnett got suspended and the whole deal, you know what I mean? And like everything started getting kind of all screwed up. Uh, so, uh, you know, they're great lists and, 50, 55,000 subscribers in such a short amount of time. How me and Jason got linked up, by the way, for those listening to this, is I literally just found their videos on YouTube, uh, and I hit them up on, or I, I put something out about it on Twitter, just like, hey, people should check these videos out, they're great, and then it turned out that the dude lives, like, right up the street from me. Like, I mean, there's just anywhere in the world. So, this, this anyone listening to this, you just never know. You just never know who's right around the corner, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it was super awesome, too, because we're, for as good as we might be on, you know, YouTube or anything like that, for as quick as our growth has been, um, 
we absolutely suck on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and we're really, uh, uh, I don't know, hoping to fix that problem soon, but we've only got about 550 followers on Twitter, whereas you have, I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood, just on your personal alone, about 12,000 to 13,000 followers on Twitter. And so when I saw that, I was like, wow, this guy's really doing us a solid. You know, he's got a, a way bigger audience on the platform. And so I instantly responded. And sure enough, uh, I happened to see on your profile that you lived in Nashville. And I was like, dude, let's meet up. Let's hang out. So, yeah, and so we did. Uh, so for those listening, I mean, we, we, we met up at a – I guess I can name the name. It's not like I'm sponsored by him or anything, but we met up at a we met up at a Starbucks, um, which is, which is the coolest way to do. Why not not even do business? We were just hanging out. But I mean, we talked about MMA on point. We talked about you know the Fight Talk podcast and kind of our our brands and kind of where we come from and what we were doing. And those are the my favorite kinds of like quote unquote any kind of like business meeting. If you can just kind of meet yeah. and chill and hang out and you know drink some coffee, drink some beer, whatever, and like that's the way to do it. Like in in that way, you also know. Like you're dealing with like a real person who's like you. I mean, we're just we're just fans of this stuff and just trying to carve out our own our own place in like this crazy MMA game, however we can. And it's really it's cool and it's motivating to see. Also, it's motivating when you see another guy around your age doing something similar and also thinking outside of the box. And just you know, there's a lot of really cool stuff I think coming up for uh, for both of us. I think, and that's it's exciting to think about. Yeah, man, absolutely. And yeah, um, coffee is a classic choice, you know, it's just a good chance to just kind of hang out and chill, because I mean, what else are you going to do? You know, you're going to talk, so um, give us a really good chance to just kind of hang out. And uh, Dude, I think we were there, and this tells you how much geeks we both are about the sport. <laughs> I want to say we talked for like two and a half to three hours, just sitting there chilling. Dude, and, yeah, we could have went another six hours probably. I had, I had to get back to my house to, uh, I did an interview with an independent pro wrestler, uh, Kevin Lee Davidson that day. So we had to cut, we actually, it was funny because I showed up there. I was like, Hey, maybe, you know, we'll talk for an hour or so. And then like, we're like so deep in the conversation. I'm like checking my phone while we're sitting there like, Oh damn, I had to get back for this interview. But like, there's so much more I'd love to talk about right now. So it's, it's funny. We're such nerds that we probably could have talked the entire freaking day about it. Oh, 100%. And here's the thing, too, because, uh, and I've talked to Tom about this a whole lot. So, where he lives, he lives, and, you know, to kind of recap who Tom is, Tom is the guy that is my partner for MMA One. So, he's the other guy that hosts videos, edits, does all that stuff. Um, he, where he comes from, he comes from uh, an area close to London. So, it's the south of England. And it, MMA is just not very popular there. And I think because of television and just always seeing, you know, the UFC is obviously based in America, all the biggest promotions. You've got tons of stuff that is based here in the U.S. And, of course, you know, everything you can ever think of, Affliction, Bellator, Strikeforce, they're all based here. So I think from television, he has this perception that it's big everywhere. And in reality, there are certainly pockets everywhere. Um, but, you know, when you're going out and just hanging out with your average Joe Blow friend, they're not like, hey, man, let's, you know, talk about Vanderlei Silva's career in pride. You know, they, they just don't know that. They, your average person might have seen Brock Lesnar fight. They might have seen CM Punk fight. They might have seen a bunch of these dudes, you know, you know, kind of get in the cage and maybe have a bad example like CM Punk or a good example like, I don't know, Conor McGregor fight. You know, they might see some of the good stuff. But in general, they can't talk about the stuff in detail like you and I can. So I think that's part of it we actually met up it's like oh wow somebody knows about this as much as i do so we can actually 
legitimately talk about this in detail and really talk about the stuff we just never get to talk about. So I, th- I think there's a bit of that geeking out thing where most of your friends just aren't into it. You know, it's just how it is. Exactly, man. And I live in I live in that world and the pro wrestling. World. It's even harder in the pro wrestling world, man. Like you, like trying to explain like Jeff Hardy or something, like some dude who's never. You guys no clue what I'm doing. You know what I mean? So like it's so it's it's so refreshing to me, like just in general, man. It, it's cool. And like that's how you make I mean, to me, I don't want to sound sappy or anything, but for people listening and stuff, like that's how you that's how I like to make new friends. I mean, like it's it's finding other people with like minded interests. Like, because it's it's yeah. it's not even necessarily rare, but it is kind of rare when they it's like this person's so close to you. I mean, like right up the street. Like like when I get back and I'm in Atlanta, Georgia right now, but I'd imagine, you know, if you got some time Sometime in the next couple of weeks, we can probably get together and do it again and just talk MMA in person or something, man. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah, and uh, I, uh, I can kind of relate a little bit to the pro wrestling side of things because, you know, I, as much as I think a hardcore MMA fan as I am, and I'm, I'm definitely not a fan of, you know, wrestling anymore, but I used to be a huge fan of it growing up. Right. You know, I was, I was the fan. I, I was the guy, you know, creating uh, wrestlers on, you know, WWF Attitude on PlayStation and uh, SmackDown 2 and all that kind of stuff when all my friends were like, yeah, we're not into that. Right, <laughs> so I was sure. out on it. Right. So I, I can relate to a little bit on that on that level. But yeah, man, uh, yeah, it's it's really awesome having somebody else who's just as hardcore fan really close by. Let's talk some UFC 219, man. And this is happening from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. So surprise, it's, surprise. Yeah, yeah. I think that's is that the only spot that they run now in in Vegas. I think that's really the only. I don't yeah, think, basically since that's open, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good for them. Good for T-Mobile. Um, it's cool to see them outside of Vegas more often. We've we've seen so that Detroit card was sick. I mean, they've had some really good ones outside of Vegas lately that I've I've really enjoyed. Um, as as far as this fight card goes, man, there's a lot of really good stuff on this show. Um, I'm going to start off by talking a little bit about the unfortunate events with uh, John Lineker uh, having to pull out, you know, Rivera, Jimmy Rivera is a guy that I've really had my eye on since he defeated Uriah Faber. Like when I watched that fight, I was like, Ooh, okay. This guy's like super legit. He neutralized Faber. This guy, this guy's a real contender. Um, and he just is having a hard time getting into the into the cage right now uh by no you know no no reason of his own you know his, his opponents keep changing and dropping off and uh as yeah. as Joe Rogan and Brennan Shaw would say I felt uh I felt very honey dicked by the Marlon Marias thing uh because you got Marias who I think is a he's a great fighter like I, I was I was stoked if they could have put Marias versus Rivera uh, versus Rivera together like I'm I'm totally happy I love John Lineker don't get me wrong watching him sleep people with punches in the cage is, is a blast to watch also but I'm sitting here going man well hey if we're not gonna get Lineker Rivera at least we're getting Marias Rivera and now Rivera's just not even on the card at all man you got any thoughts on uh on kind of Rivera and the spot he's in right now yeah, it sucks because uh, I'm in the exact same boat as you. You know, I think the world just kind of takes notice when you have somebody like Uriah Faber who'd basically not lost anybody that wasn't a champion or former champion. You know, like I think Frankie Edgar was the the only fight that he'd had with somebody that wasn't currently holding a title, uh, but he was a former champion. You know, obviously 155 that he had lost to, and so when Rivera is finally this guy who's not a champion to 
beat him, you're like, oh, wow. I mean, you know, you're literally looking at the cream of the crop that he's just beaten. And uh, I was, uh, Cruz is one of my favorite fighters ever, like, period. And so uh, when they were supposed to originally fight at UFC 219, my eyes were glued to that. It was one of the fights I was looking forward to the most. So Cruz being Cruz, he got injured. <laughs> Such an unfortunate um you know, career he's had for the past few years as far as injuries go. So I was super bumped about that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it, it's a tough place to be in. Um, it just sucks, you know. Rivera is just such a big talent. And at this point, he's got a lot to – he's got a lot of momentum on his side and stuff like this is just, you know, uh, stressful. Uh, it's just ridiculously annoying, you know, it, I would love to see him fight against any of these guys. You know, I, I hope they can set up the Cruz match, but um, I don't know how you know soon Cruz is going to be back. But I think the the first fight was the best one. Yeah, oh, I agree, hundred percent, man. And it, it's one of those things where you just you hate seeing uh, things like this happen to people, like you said, when they've got momentum, especially because you just don't really know. Like, I don't know the best way of wording this because let, I'll use a. Uh, Ricardo Lamas is a perfect example. Dude was supposed to fight Jose Aldo. I mean, and and the, he goes from Aldo to uh, the dude from uh, American or uh, Team Alpha Male. Uh, Mendes. No, no, no. This like uh, just the other week. Um, he got knocked out by that uh, that the bald dude. I I don't know why I can't oh. think of his name. Uh, Brace. No, 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 no. He found out. It was. Uh, Carter. I'm on the tip of the tongue with you right now. Yeah, I, I want to say it was it was Tim Tim something uh something Elliot maybe. Hold on, I'm I'm gonna pull it up right yeah. now. It wasn't Tim Elliot. I know it wasn't him. Oh, Josh Emmett. That was it. Josh um, Emmett. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Threw him. Holy crap! Did he? Right. Oh, that was one hell of a knockout. And my actually, I just kind of proved my own point there by not. I couldn't remember the guy's name. I couldn't remember, and this was a this is the dude who just knocked out Ricardo Lamas mm-hmm. in the first round, and and Lamas was supposed to be fighting Jose Aldo, and and it's not to say you know of course Emmett deserves it, he went in there and he won, but I mean right. just imagine like you got a guy like Rivera, you're supposed to fight Cruz, you're supposed to fight Lineker, you might have Marias, and like I'd imagine you know he's trying to get back into the octagon as soon as possible, maybe as soon as like the next card or the next pay per view, and we don't know who his opponent's going to be, and you're you're kind of risking something like that happening when you really had an opportunity at maybe being a number one contender with the other fight. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really tough place to be, man. Yeah. So, um, and especially with a guy like that who's... I mean, he'd been a top prospect for Alpha for a long time, and he finally went down to featherweight, and he's been doing well. So he, he kind of... He, he was totally under the radar. And I do think that there's something to this idea that... It's kind of counterintuitive of the idea of just coming off the couch and fighting. You know, it's like when Nate Diaz did it to Conor McGregor, um, when Bisbee did it to Rockhold. You know, and they clearly, when they were matched up before, clearly he was outclassed in the first fight. You know, Bisbee was against Rockhold. Right. Um, so I think there's something to this idea of coming off the couch with almost like, it almost feels like there's no pressure for sometimes and then of course there are other times like Mendez where Mendez gets gassed against McGregor but um, sometimes I think there's something to that it's almost like a cowboy you know Donald Cerrone he's always fought better 
when the fight's been short notice, he's just jumped on a card. Anytime there's been a build up to a fight, he's always chokes. You know, and you know, maybe chokes is a bit um, harsh, but I mean, it, it, it always seems that way. You know, when you look at the Darren Till fight, when you look at fighting RDA the second time, I mean, he just went in and got marks, Pettis. You know, all those fights. So you have you have to wonder if there maybe perhaps is something to the idea of just kind of going in and relying on nothing but muscle memory. You know, you're just following actions you practice forever, and you're trusting those things because that's all you got. So, I, I don't know. But, yeah, yeah, uh, I'm getting on a tangent. No, dude, I'm actually really glad you brought that up because I actually take heat fairly often because I never choose Donald Cerrone with, with like, a big fight. But that I Like, I right. swear to God, like, I, I took Darren Till. I took Pettis at the time. Um, I'm taking Medeiros when they fight. Um Wow. Like, I mean, I, I just, I, it's just funny. It's funny that you, that you brought that up because, and, and that's not necessarily like my exact line of thinking, but, mm-hmm. but I, I do not, and I've, I've taken heat for it because I don't consider Cowboy to be an elite fighter. I think he's a very, 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 he's a great fighter, but he is not an elite fighter because I have not seen him go in there with a world beater or a champion and actually, and actually really take that guy out before. And, and like you go, you see a guy like Darren Till and like what he did to him and stuff. I mean, granted, Darren Till's like 24 years old and that guy's a future world champion at, at some point in his career. The guy's nasty. But yeah. I, 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 you, I'm really, it's actually refreshing to hear somebody say that because most of the time when people bring up Cowboy Cerrone, they're just, they're just kind of, you know, they're, they're fanboy out on him because he's a likable guy. Like I think Cowboy Cerrone's awesome. Yeah. I love, I love listening to him talk on the Joe Rogan podcast. I, I, you know, I, I love watching him fight and I love his attitude of fighting anybody at any time. But when, yeah. when it's a big stake on the line, he doesn't, he, he hasn't pulled through and, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. I think he's clearly at the top of the division, um, anywhere he fights. Um, and maybe, maybe we're finding out man, this whole like weight class thing of, you know, on one end, you know, when he first moved to 170, he just looked fantastic and it looks you know, so rejuvenating for him, you know, he was just coming off that RDA loss, and he got four wins back-to-back, just, you know, smashing guys, uh, the last one being Matt Brown, which was a fantastic fight, but then Jorge Masvidal comes through and just wrecks him, you know, so it's it's one of these weird kind of things, you know. Um, Robbie Lawler and, beat him also, right, a- a- around that time. Yeah, he beat him right after that, and I feel like that was a close fight. Um, I, I honestly, if that would have gone either way, I would have been cool with it. Right. It, they they ruled a unanimous decision for Robbie Lawler, but the rounds were super close. And I think, I mean, it, it's one of these classic things, you know. Like Robbie Lawler has been on the better side of a lot of decisions where there's been a large contingent against him, like Condit's fighting on this card, for instance. I was in the camp that thought Condit won that fight. I am too. So, I am too. I thought yeah, Condit won that one. Yep. Yeah, so it, it's interesting. You know, um, I, I thought that fight was a close fight. I didn't think that was a bad performance on uh, Cerrone's uh, part, but the Darren Till fight, I mean, it was just classic Cerrone's always slow in the first round. Darren Till taking advantage of that. Darren Till beating this giant fighter. So, um, I don't know. It, it's really, really tough to look at uh, to look at it and say whether or not he's a top fighter or not. I think he is when he's on his game but i think when his mind kind of takes over because i i think at heart i mean he's the adrenaline junkie that we always see of him he's the guy that you know has done all these blogs of him you know 
I don't know, skydiving or something, you know, doing like crazy stuff or doing all this jet ski stuff where Dana White's like flipping out, you're going to hurt yourself before the fight you got set up. I think he's an adrenaline junkie, and I think he feels that the most when it's just spur of the moment when he jumps into it. So I almost, I, I think he would do better against some of these guys, a title fight or something like that, if he just had no notice. And unfortunately, I think that's just a part of, you know, I have that a little bit too, you know, when whenever I'm doing something live, things just feel... I don't know. There's just so much pressure, you know? So, uh, yeah. But that's that's a bit of a tangent I've taken us down. You'll notice I'm really good at that, and we're really bad about this on the EVA Maple <laughs> because Tom and I are, you know, kind of two peas in a pod in an extent there where we will just go on and on and on, and we have to cut ourselves. So. Cool. I'll, I'll cut it, but I'm, I'm glad you brought it up, man. I'm very glad you brought it up because this is not – obviously, I'm not trashing Donald Cerrone. Like, I think – like I said, I think he's a great fighter, but I haven't Fuck actually – Fuck Donald Yeah, I did not. Steven Jensen did not say that. I'm going to put that out there in case he somehow. And he was a part. He's, he's in an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, my favorite show on television. I mean, I like I like Cowboy. He's a good dude. But, uh, he's a good rule for fans in general when they listen to people talking about stuff and being extremely theoretical. Just don't be sensitive. Just, exactly. Just, don't be sensitive. just take emotion just out of it. There you go. Just relax. <laughs> Love it, man. Hey, so as, as far as far as this fight card actually goes, we talked about all the things not happening on the show. Um, the first fight I've got here, we got Tim Elliott and Mark De La Rosa. Uh, Elliott, you know, pretty big career resurgence, right? I mean, he won the Ultimate yeah. Fighter, got a title shot. Uh, he was a UFC fighter before, but then went over to Titan FC, uh, won the Ultimate Fighter, like I said. Had Demetrius Johnson in, you know, in a little bit of trouble in their fight. I mean... I, I was. It was a pretty good fight. I mean, and, and yeah, was it a was it a guillotine that he had him in? I can't remember off the top of my head. I can't remember if he was going for that or a Doris, but he got really close to finishing that fight, man. Yeah, it um, was wild. It was wild. As far as the prediction goes on this, you know, we can we'll go like back and forth, like on the first on the first uh, you know pick or whatever. I I, I think it's probably fairly obvious though for both of us. I mean, I'm taking Tim Elliott. I don't know enough about De La Rosa personally, but sure. you know, but knowing how good Tim Elliott is and how good he's looked, and I, I don't know if he, is he coming off of a loss. I feel like he just lost his last fight. Yeah, Ben's uh, Ben Ben Win. Yeah, and that was a I quick fight. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was yeah that and that fight lasted less than a minute. Now that I'm looking at it, um. But hey, this is a this is a winnable fight. This is on uh, the prelims of the the UFC Fight Pass, and it's a good way to highlight Elliot to the fans who have Fight Pass who are watching the prelims. Uh, do you have anything that you want to add uh, to the Tim Elliot fight? Yeah, I mean, De La Rosa. It, it seems it, it seems like I'm gonna pick Tim Elliot as well, and what I think is probably gonna happen, um, the path to success, I think, is obviously not gonna be on the ground because De La Rosa is a submission kind of wizard, you know, he's coming off of a couple submission wins, and he's been fighting in Combat Americas, which is, you know, uh, a really big Latin American, uh, just sort of in road for a lot of up-and-coming uh, MMA fighters. Um, so he's had, he's had a pretty good, you know, experience down there, but um, I, I just do have to think, from what I've seen him on his stand-up, it, it seems like if Tim Elliott can keep it on the feet, he can probably pick him apart. So. Yeah, but I'm... 9-0, though, so, I mean, who knows, you know, the guy... Guy's coming in as a tremendous uh, new talent, you know. Uh, so he's he's done really well for himself. But I'm picking Tim Elliott as well. 
Yeah, and you never know with those dudes who come in with like a nine and 10 and whatever kind of record. Like the uh, like the dude who just murked Johnny Hendricks, uh, Costa, Costa, however you say it, Paulo, Paulo Costa. He like I I picked I picked Costa going into the fight after you know I I'd seen him fight a few times and I was like this guy's yeah. like a mini Hulk I mean this guy's <laughs> insane but it, but it's like those are the kind of guys that you kind of got to watch for when they come in with these like nine and 0, 10 and O type records you don't know a whole lot about them but they could be world beaters you just don't know until you see them go in there against uh, somebody in the UFC kind of in like the top ten top fifteen so this could be a big opportunity for uh, De La Rosa for sure yeah this this is huge for him absolutely. Because, I mean, Tim Elliott has, you know, he did come off that loss. Um, but, you know, he's he's had some other wins, like, he beat, you know, Louis Smoka and stuff like that recently. So, um, and then, of course, I mean, I, I legitimately think that fight against DJ was the best fight anybody's taken to DJ, which was why it was, you know, so awesome the way it went down. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, he is on, you know, his momentum isn't the highest. So this, this is the time to strike if you're a new guy. Absolutely, and uh, that'll bring us right into the prelims on Fox Sports 1. Uh, we got Louis Smolka taking on, you're going to tell me what the last name, I don't know if it's Nicolou, <laughs> Nicolau? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in there with you and assume that's it. <laughs> Nicolau, you know, it's hard, it's hard, these names are tough, man, because here's the thing, to be honest, even when you find the pronunciation, you could find three different people still saying it differently, and it's just kind of a, I don't know, I'm going to go with that. But I will say this, yeah. uh, Smolka, I do know, is riding a three-fight loss streak, and Nikolau yeah. is riding a five-fight win streak. Um, yeah. And, you know, Smolka is the name that I, I definitely know better. He's a guy that I've, I've uh, seen fight much more often. Uh, but Nikolau coming off of a split-decision win over John Moraga, who, who was a no-joke. I mean, John Moraga, he... He's fought for the title before, hadn't he? At one point, I mean, uh, he fought for the title. oh wait, no, did he never? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He fought DJ back in a 2013 for that belt. Um, oh, he did. Yeah, so it's been a while. I forgot about that. Um, but that's uh, so. But when I look at at a fight like this between Smolka and Nikolau, I hope I'm saying it close. Everyone, anyone listening to this after the fact, I, I will get blown up if I'm pronouncing this incorrectly. So, <laughs> but uh. I'm going to take Nikolau just based on, like, I mean, I mean, obviously Smolka. Oh, you know what? It should have been your pick. I'll let you go first. Who you got in this fight, man? <laughs> um, yeah, so Smolka is coming off that skid. And what, what's interesting, this is like an MMA math classic case because he beat Ben Wendt and then lost to Tim Elliott, you know? So it's it's like, how does that happen, you know? Because Tim Elliott lost to Ben Wendt in his last fight. So it's like, it's so weird. It just never makes sense. Um. In MMA, it's just styles are just so crazy. There's just so many different ways things can go down. But he is on that three fight skid, and it started with Moreno when he just got you know beat with that guillotine. Nobody saw that coming. Um, he was he was still on the Ultimate Fighter when he beat him. It's just nuts, you know. Um, so I don't know. I, I just have to think that you know it's like the hot hand fallacy. People think because somebody's winning, you know, or you know, it comes from basketball. You know, somebody keeps shooting they keep scoring so you assume they're going to keep scoring and I, I think the same thing happens when somebody's on the skid and i'm totally doing that right now fully aware of that but you know with him coming off those three losses and those all being really tough losses um I, i've got to think that maybe something kind of changed 
you know, uh, maybe a little doubt entered into his mind. I don't know what it is. Um, getting beat by somebody like Moreno and then getting beat again a couple of times after that. Um, I, I guess I'm going to have to go ahead and go with the, uh, <laughs> the no-name on this one. And I don't know how to say his name either. Um, he's Brazilian. Uh, so you, when you read it, you think you're looking at, I don't know, like, <laughs> how does he spell his name? Like, Nikolai. It looks like it would be, like, Russian or some sort of Slavic name. But yes. No, yeah, it does. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's really interesting. But he, he did beat John Maraca, so that's a really good example to bring up. Some that it has actually fought for a title. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and go with the new guy on this one. I'm going to go ahead and say that he's going to take it. So. You know what? I'm going to take that as well. Um, for similar reasons, man. Like, I, you know, I think the only, the only, I think kind of plus side I would have to, to choosing Smolka. I'm not choosing Smolka, but if I was, it would be because of the mindset of he loses this fight, he's got to be out of the UFC. Like a four-fight losing streak in that division, Absolutely. I just, you know. So his back's against the wall, so maybe he's made, you know, the adjustments to get this W, but I just don't see it happening in this one. So I'm with you on uh, on that prediction. Yeah, I agree. Up next, we got Marvin Vittori taking on Amari Akhmedov. Akhmedov. Am I saying that right? You, you got <laughs> so bad, so bad with some of these names, man. Akhmedov, that's got to be. Akhmedov. Akhmedov. That's my understanding of how to say it. But yeah, Vittori, so this is an interesting one too because I mean, when was the last time the UFC had an Italian star? They never really had one. They had Alessio Sicara. Yeah. You know, he, he, he had some momentum at some point and looked really good, but he ended up fading out. And I think Vittori, I think what he... What he looks like to be, I mean, the guy just has the look. I mean, you know, when we talk about classic marketing and things like that, I mean, as lame as it sounds, he's a good-looking dude who has a really good record um, underneath his you know, belt. So he's looked really good despite having a loss in the UFC so far. Um, it seems like this guy, if he can get a couple wins together, that this guy could be an inroad to fighting and headlining in Italy, you know? Um, so I, I have to think that, considering his record, Akhmedov has been in since, what, 2013? So he's been around for a while. He's kind of had a mixed record, lost to Gunnar Nelson, all this stuff. Um, he, he's kind of had a so-so career. You know, you would say it's average. He's stayed. He's done enough to stick around. Um, and if he would have lost his last fight, he would have been out, you know. Um, so I have to think that Vittori is... I don't know. I just think he's younger. I think he's got a lot more going for him, um, despite not having a perfect record. But I, I think there is definitely a chance that he's going to win this fight. I'm leaning in that direction. Yeah, I'm taking Vittori as well. I I couldn't have said it better myself, man. And I, I'm glad that you brought up Alessio Sakara because like that's a name that never comes up on my show ever. Um, <laughs> one of one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite fighters when I got into MMA. I guess it was a few years in, but I loved watching Chris Lieben fight, and I'll never forget him knocking oh, yeah. out Sakara. I'll never forget it was it was year it was probably close to ten years ago, but I that, that's the kind of stuff that sticks out in my mind when I hear Sakara. I remember him being like a, I, I still remember like Joe Rogan always kind of talking him up and stuff because he was like yep. such a unique dude. Um, so I'm glad hey showing Alessi's that's a name that has not been brought up on my podcast ever before. So I'm glad that uh, Sakara is getting a little love here, even though we're talking about him getting knocked out. But at least at least we got Sakara on the Fight Talk podcast. I'm taking Vittori, and you are as well, if I'm correct. Correct. Yep. 
Good deal, man. Good deal. Up next, we got Miles Jury taking on Rick Glenn. Man, Miles Jury is an interesting case, isn't he? Because he was, yeah. you know, he was like nearing a title shot at lightweight at one point, then ran into Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Um, and since then has gone down to featherweight, lost his featherweight debut against Charles Oliveira, but then came back against Mike De La Torre. Uh, Rick Glenn, I'm going to pull his record up. I got to see who he fought recently. Gavin Tucker and Felipe Nover lost to Evan Dunham. I remember that Evan Dunham fight. That was a great fight. That fight of the night honors. That makes sense. Um, damn, this is a pretty damn good fight. I, I didn't even... I'm looking forward to this. I didn't even realize. Um, yeah. Wow. Wow. It's uh, funny seeing that Felipe Nover on there because I think of that classic, you know, if you've ever seen those compilations of uh, Mike Goldberg's just kind of gaffes on, uh, you know, when he was the broadcaster for UFC where he's like, oh, we'll see if Felipe Nover's comparisons to GSP and Anderson Silva <laughs> will live up to the name. And this was in his first UFC stint where he's just coming off the ultimate fighter. Joe Rogan's like, yeah, we'll have to see if he can compare it all that. And to be fair, you know, like everybody just sees that clip and they don't really see the background behind it. But that was something Dana White was proclaiming. But it was also Dana White being the promoter of the UFC talking about the Ultimate Fighter, which he always kind of embellishes on. I literally can't remember the last time he hasn't said, and I didn't pay any attention. I, I don't really care about the Ultimate Fighter, and I didn't pay attention to this last one. But I... Every time I've heard him talk about it, he'll be like, these are the best fights that have ever been on the show. You know, so yeah. it's really hard to take him seriously. But, you know, to be fair to Mike Goldberg, when he was talking about Felipe Nover and these comparisons, he was getting that from Dana White. And I think Joe Rogan was just totally unaware of it. Yeah. I mean, Joe Rogan classically has said that he doesn't do any research before fights. He just jumps into it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, so... Looking at it, Rick Glenn's been around for, you know, he's been around for a long time. He's been around since 2006, uh, a couple of years before Miles Jury got into it. But when you look at who um, who, who they've lost to, uh, Miles Jury, you know, Oliver at one point was, you know, on a huge tear. And this was back in 2015, so it was a while back that he lost to him. It was just that Miles Jury was out for so long. And then Donald Cerrone, there's no shame in losing to that guy whatsoever. But um, Rick Lynn, he's kind of been an underground king, you know. He's kind of been an Eddie Alvarez in his own right, fighting for the World Series of Fighting uh, for a long time, you know. So he's coming back in and, uh, you know, really starting to finally fight for the UFC. This is, I, I think it's only, this will be his fourth fight. Yeah. So he's, he's kind of unproven on the world stage with the biggest names out there. Um, and Miles Jury obviously is, I think it's better to put him towards the mid Carter based on what he's done so far and what he's accomplished. And he really could be a world beating talent. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm going to go ahead and go with Miles Jury and just say, you know, the losses that he's had, he, he just seems to be a bit fresher. And actually I think he's a year older, believe it or not. He looks younger. He looks a lot younger, but um, I think I'm going to go ahead and go with uh, with Miles on this. Yeah, I'm going to go with Miles as well, uh, kind of echoing your your thoughts on that. And also, like you said, I mean, you got to take into account, I mean, even though, I mean, we can look at some of some of Jury's wins, you know, before his losses to Cerrone and Oliveira, which are respectable losses, of course. And, you know, yeah. we got guys like Mike Ricci, 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 I can never say his name right either. He was another one of those ultimate fighter guys that was like, 
Dana White, like, hey, you never know what's going to happen with, with, I think, I'm pretty sure he was one of those guys. And, you know, to beat Diego Sanchez, talking to Argomi, he's just been in there with just overall better, more experienced guys. And I think that says a lot when you're going to go in there with a guy who doesn't have that kind of experience, you know, so I, I'm going to take jury as well. I think it's funny that you brought up the, uh, the ultimate fighter thing though, too, because I haven't, I haven't actually like closely watched that show since probably the heavyweight season with, uh, with Kimbo and Roy Nelson. Oh my God, yeah. And because it's, I feel like I'll like, you know, the Diaz brothers will say like, I feel like I'm getting sold wolf tickets every time I turn on the ultimate <laughs> fighter. Like I turn that show on. And every season, it's like you said, like they talk about it's the best fights in the show's history or they're like, there's always like some guy or some girl who's like in that group, like Uriah Hall or somebody that they're like, this guy is the next Anderson Silva. And then it's like, how can you say that when these guys yeah. haven't been fighting in? I mean, I get I get comparisons. He like though, to be fair. He, no, I, 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 I get it. I get it. He he. He looked like he killed a few people during the Ultimate Fighter season. Yeah. But but then you also get to, like, this past season, right? Which I didn't watch any of it. But at the end of the day, another per- another, another person, I've, I've gotten heat for talking about her negatively, but it isn't, I don't dislike her, but when you have Roxanne Montefiore fighting for a UFC championship, <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying, you know, like, like she's not a good, like, imagine, right. imagine Ioana Jacek or Rosanami Yunus or or Carolina Kovacavich, or any of these women going up 10 pounds, they all destroy these these women who are on right. on the Ultimate Fighter. So, like, it's, you know, like, uh, hey, Roxanne seems like the nicest girl in the world. Like, the happy warrior, all power to her. Like, I have no problem with her personally at all. I would love to sit down and have lunch with her. She seems like a great person. But when I see her fight, there is such a gap in talent between what she does fighting for a championship and what, I mean, I, I'm not exaggerating. I think any woman in the top 15 at strawweight or in the top 15 at bantamweight could, could move to, could move to featherweight or to flyweight and win that title from any of those women at 125. Wow. I think, I think the top 15, I think you could put Felice Herring in there and, and she, she beats Nico <laughs> for that belt. I mean, I, I just, I just don't see the talent level. Um, but sure. you know, that's, that's just me. But well, um, she was favored to win that too from the beginning. Uh, Roxanne was so when the show first got announced, that's that's who everybody was picking. And sure enough, she she did lose. But that that was crazy when you literally got somebody who <laughs> who is a part of the show. Uh, I'm trying to remember what her God. I should know her name. We're looking at tough season twenty six. Who was it that was supposed to fight for the title? Reason was it? It's not Edison, is it? I honestly can't even remember who who was supposed to fight Nico originally before it switched to Roxanne. You bet. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It started with an E, but somehow went to Edison. So yeah, so she missed weight. Like that's fucking crazy. They set up a show just for figuring out who the inaugural women's flyweight champion would be, and she missed weight. Yeah. Fucking wild, man. Remember so, when Travis Luter did that shit for Anderson Travis Silva? Luter. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, come on, man. Like, this, you got, this guy got back into the UFC. Like, he was exiled and got back into the UFC by winning yeah. that tournament and then yeah. missed weight. And that's another thing people, people forget is 
you know, the Demetrius Johnson uh, title record is uh, officially, it's 100% his, but that Travis Luter fight where Anderson Silva won, that should have been a title fight if Luter would have made the weight and he would have had that one more win on that record. Um, but, you know, that's, you know, obviously just nitpicking, but, you know, that's the kind of stuff that infuriates me. Like, you have an entire season to build towards one specific thing, and then you can't make weight. It's, it's, I can't, I, I feel like I wasted my whole time watching the season to begin with. we're not athletes right so when people i think they're going to jump on us and say oh well you're not even fighters anyway yeah yes, i'm definitely not fair. i'm definitely not you're so right that's about fair. that <laughs> but we're not saying anything other fighters haven't said we're not saying anything that their peers aren't saying about them so it, we're not saying anything crazy and we're not trying to say we're athletes at all it no has nothing to do with it but i do feel like somebody would say that so i did want to address that before yeah hey that but, that's okay yeah, but so when it's funny too because this jumps into another one of those funny things that Goldberg had said because when he was coming into the ring he was like wouldn't you say that he's like the Michael Jordan of wrestling and Joe Rogan's like no no that's not actually <laughs> so, uh, fun falls into one of those uh, funny Goldberg things again but yeah that's a really really good example to go to of an ultimate fighter season which was shared with uh, where uh, Matt Sayer actually beat GSP. Yep. Um, so it, it's funny to see that that's actually happened twice. So I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot about that myself. But so yeah, so when you're when you're looking at that, I mean, it's just insane. I forgot what the tie-in to Tough was. What we were talking about, but uh, I know I'm the one that got us on this. Oh, game. we were talking about uh, Felipe Nova, and then that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. the, the, yeah. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's why, dude. I'm gonna have you on the show more often. We'll, wait, we'll, we'll start. We'll start with the topic and then wind up on something about like space travel or some shit. It'd be great. Um, we got uh, a. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Uh, hey, the next fight we got a mouthful in this one. We got Khalil Roundtree versus. You got the name. You got you got the uh, you got the clo- you got the closest Chuck. stab. Yeah, Alexi Chuck is what I'm going with. All right, we're going That's with how I believe to say. I, so, on, on our fairness on this one, so some of these other guys, they fought in the UFC, um, and we should know how to say their names, but we don't know how to. When it comes to Alexichuk, he literally has only fought in Polish promotions. He's not fought in a single English one. And before this, believe me, I tried to look it up. I tried to look on YouTube. There's not a single English interview he's done. Uh, Polish is blowing uh Polish MMA is blowing up, by the way, so it's good to see another one of these guys, but... And then Khalil Roundtree, this guy's a monster. I mean, uh, I've got some uh, some friends that have connections to Paul Craig. And so when I saw that fight, I had a little bit of that connection just, you know, through the people that I know that have trained with him and stuff like that. Um, so Paul Craig going down and getting knocked out like that was just kind of like, oh, man, I was kind of bummed, to be honest with you. So um, Khalil Roundtree is just a absolute monster. And when he was on the Ultimate Fighter himself, that was how he was winning most of his fights. He had a bit of a mixed record there and didn't end up winning it. But um, when it comes to knockout power, he's extremely strong. And when you look at Elixir Jug, <laughs> it's almost like pasted in there. Uh, when you look at his fights, he is he's, he's exactly the same way. He's won most of his fights by some sort of knockout or TKO. So 
I, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go with the underdog in this one. I'm going to say Alexi Chuck get it, gets it done. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, I'm going to disagree with that one, but that's totally okay. That's why we do predictions. Um, I'm going to go, I mean, the Daniel Jolly knockout was like, I'm looking at it now, 52 seconds into the first round with a knee. Uh, you mentioned the Paul Craig fight, (coughs) very impressive knockout there. Um, you know, something that's worth mentioning, Roundtree was supposed to initially fight Gokhan Saki in this one. Um, yeah. And Saki had to pull out to injury and he's a dude who, if Saki was in there, I'd be taking Saki over either of these guys because that guy, that guy is so unique to me. Just like with his background in in you know other fighting disciplines before even coming into MMA and before even getting into the UFC and then seeing the way that he fights people, it's just it's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, so hopefully, maybe maybe there's bigger things for Saki instead. But I'd be okay with like the winner of this fighting fighting him. I mean. I just want to see Saki back in the in the octagon as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of crazy with Saki because he got a fight in the UFC coming off of getting TKO'd himself. He was 0-1 when he was in the UFC, so pretty fascinating. But he has that kickboxing background, and it makes sense to put him on a Japanese card because he's fought for K1, so he's a star there. So I mean. I don't know. I don't know what they expected to happen in that first fight, but he definitely. Enrique De Silva. I love Enrique De Silva, but um, it's a shame he's been on the skid himself. But yeah, um, <laughs> you do have to wonder what that fight would have looked like because I feel like Khalil Roundtree is the kind of guy that would have tried to just stand and bang with him. Uh, but I mean, you were talking about a kickboxing world champ, so that's pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool. But yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll be at odds on this one. It's good, you know. We've been on the same page for every single one, so it's good to see that there's some deviation. Yeah. Uh, there's there's some competitiveness with our uh, predictions here. That's good. That's people can, people listening can choose sides on this if they want to. I think <laughs> I'll I'll be surprised if we were on the same side on all these main card fights. But hey, we might be. Who knows? Uh, there's some good yeah. fights, man. Uh, the main card of the pay per view portion is gonna start off with Carlos Condit making his long-awaited UFC return oh against God. Neil Magny. This is a fucking great fight, man. I love this fight. Um, yeah. You know, Carlos Condit, we touched on it before. Uh, depending on the judging that particular night, he could have been the welterweight champion. And and he's one of the guys that, you know, I... Once again, trying to think of the best way of saying this, but, you know, we talked about it when we were at, uh, at Starbucks, actually, and you've actually done some MMA On Point videos about the subject of uh, like fights that should have never happened or fights that maybe the fighter, you know, didn't necessarily deserve. You know, <clears throat> Condit was coming off of that. Granted, it was the leg kicks, but he lost legitimately to Tyron Woodley. Uh, and, you know, he got a title shot fairly undeservingly, in my opinion. Like, I just think right. that the stylistic matchup made a lot of sense between him and Lawler. It was a sellable fight. But when the fight actually happened, not only did we get what I thought was a cause Condit victory, but it was so close. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to argue it one way or another, yeah. but what we you did get, flipping out the night of, yeah, yeah, it was a close fight. It, it, it was, it was fair either way. It went. And I think that it gave us the best fifth round in MMA history. I think that that, that fifth round between Condit and uh, Lawler was just amazing. And the, and the two of them, you know, that classic image of the two of them with their hands up on the, on the edge of the octagon, uh, trying to catch their breath after they had just gone to a complete war with one another. Um, you know, and, and 
a guy like Condit needed that for me only because I'm such a massive fan historically of the Diaz brothers and ma- mainly Nick. I've, I've always loved watching Nick Diaz fight and yeah. I hated the Carlos Condit fight with Nick Diaz. Like, cause I, I just felt like there was, there wasn't enough action uh, yeah. Regardless of who won or lost, I mean, Condit won the fight, but regardless, I was so disappointed in the performance in that one. And then when Condit came back and he had that fight with Lawler, I was like, okay, I'm I'm back with Condit. Like this is this guy's a fucking warrior. Like there's no there's no way around it. And then we got a guy like Neil Magny who, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe he holds the record for most UFC wins in a calendar year. Uh, just a couple years ago, I think he did that. Um, Neil Magny, I think he won, uh, I think he won five fights in a calendar year. Like, I think it was two years ago. Um, and it was like, technically it was like six within like 13 or 14 months or something like that. Um, and in that span, uh, let me, let me pull Neil Magny up because the, the win that was most impressive to me was when he, uh, took out Hector Lombard. Um, but also he beat Kelvin Gastelum right before that. I mean, Neil, Ma- like this is such a cool fight because like Magny is is game. Like he could really beat anybody on any day, just the, depending on how it goes. You know, you just never know. You you would you on paper, it's hard to choose him to beat a guy like Gastelum or a guy like Lombard or even a guy like Johnny Hendricks. You know, but he he's beaten all those guys. Um, yeah. Lost to Rafael dos Anjos. Uh, Obviously, that's a respectable loss. A, a lot of people are losing to RDA right now. At, especially now, yeah. Yeah, especially now. I mean, for my money, I, I think he's the best matchup right now for Woodley at welterweight. I think that's a fight I definitely want to see. Yeah. Um, Man, as I'll, I'll start it off with the predictions on this one. I'm going <clears> to <throat> – man. And you can give your insight and analysis absolutely on, on your line of thinking. I – Man, this is tough because I want to choose Condit. The layoff is what's getting me, though. Like, I don't know what we're going to be getting with – because he re- he retired from the sport after his last fight. And and when you retire, to me, it's kind of like, okay, your foot's out the door, your mind, your body, your heart. It just kind of just – you're not 100% into it anymore if you're willing to walk away. Whereas Magni just keeps fighting. Just top guy after top guy after top guy. That said – I'm going to just mind fuck myself. I'm taking Condit. I'm going to say Condit gets it done. But I think this has potential to be fight of the night. And that's saying a lot considering what else is on this show. Um, but I'm going to say Condit gets it done. I don't know how. Um, I, it might be a three-round war that goes to a close decision. That's what I'd like to see. Um, what are your thoughts on this one, Jason? This this one's a tough one to pick. Sure. So for me, um, I, I actually agree. So I, I, I think that Condit has shown himself again and again to perform well on the um, biggest stage, going against the biggest opponents. And not to say his record hasn't looked really—I mean, it's looked really badly. You know, because when you look at—I mean, so what's he got here? He's got Damian Maya loss. Although I did think he won against Robbie Lawler, that was still a loss. And um, I and it, and I don't. Was a I don't want to cut you off, but I'm glad I didn't bring up the Maya thing. Maya ran right through him. I mean, that was like yeah. that was shocking when I saw that. It was, it yeah, it was, yeah. And so that's why that's. I think I'm a little bit more sympathetic to his plight when he says, "You know, I don't know if I'm going to keep fighting anymore 
because it was such a devastating loss, and he was just coming off that loss to Rob Lawler. I think it was just a really, really tough place for him to be in at that moment. And um, I, I can't help but sympathize with him there. But um, I am, for, you know, 100% not ashamed to admit that I'm a bit of a Condit fanboy. I've just always liked Condit all the way back to the WEC days. And uh, even though he did honey dick, <laughs> to use that word <laughs> earlier, yeah. uh, by telling everybody it was going to be a dog fight against Nick Diaz, I did think it was smart. You know, I thought it was a an incredibly intelligent game plan. And, you know, I think people will always fight about who won that fight to the end of days because Nick Diaz was plotting forward and constantly walking him down. But I also thought the person landing was gone. And so whatever side you want to take on that, be my guest. But um, my, my personal view on this is that he has done better consistently against the top talents, and arguably he could have been the champ at one point uh, as recently as just, uh, I don't know, I guess we're looking at two years ago, which is kind of wild to think about, but um, Damian Maya, I think you, I think that fight would go differently if it were to happen again today. Not to say that Condit would win, but I don't think it would happen quite as fast, and I think back then, I, I think people just really were still underestimating Damian Maya, and would he be Condit? I think that changed everybody's mind of how strong this guy is for the welterweight class coming down from middleweight. So um, I, I think Magny, when you look at his biggest fights, I mean, that that Hector Lombard fight put everybody on notice. Everybody was incredibly impressed with that. Uh, but he's lost to Damian by himself. And so his, his biggest win, I guess you could say technically, is Johnny Hendricks. But Johnny Hendricks... When you're looking at, that was December 30th, 2016. That's not the Johnny Hendricks that, in my opinion, beat GSP. Oh, we, we could do an entire podcast about my thoughts on Johnny Hendricks. I, I, I he's a, I, I can't call him a disgrace, but like, uh, for obvious, <laughs> but, but, but like, uh, like, but honestly, like, the, you're 100% right. That, the dude who fought George St. Pierre is not, and even the dude who beat Robbie Lawler to win that bell and had that trilogy of fights with them, like, that guy is not the Johnny Hendricks we've been seeing fight lately at all. Yeah. So, yeah, 100%, man. Yeah, so, <coughs> I mean, when you look at the most impressive wins, and again, it's this whole relativity concept that I was talking about, you know, like, at the end of the day, it's hard to move past. You know, sometimes you just have a feeling about somebody's momentum or whatever it is. Uh, but in general, what you're looking at is you're comparing who, who have they beat. And yes... Condit did beat or uh, lose to Johnny Hendricks, but again, that was a completely different Johnny Hendricks. Um, so when you compare the resumes, I just think that I mean Lawrence Larkin smashed Bill Magny, smashed him. That was that was that was a beyond impressive performance from uh, Lawrence Larkin, and then RDA beating him and no shame in that loss, as you stated. But I just I just think that Condit has the experience, he has the resume, um, he has the wins under his belt, and. Yes, I'm a fanboy, so I'm biased on this one. <laughs> All right, man. So we both got conned. I like it. Um, yeah. Up next, I'm going to let you take it away uh, to talk about this one first. This is a great fight, too. Cynthia Cavalia versus uh, Carla, Espar- Carla Esparza. Uh, yeah. Esparza, of course, the first ever women's strawweight champion. Um, Cavalia, I believe, is undefeated, but Esparza has fought, you know, a who's who of the women, the top women in these divisions. Um, what are your thoughts on this one, Jason? Who you got winning? I've got uh, Cavillo winning it. 
just because, man, after watching Carlos Barza get decimated like that by Ioana, it didn't just look like she was finding a style of opponent that was bad for her, which it indeed was, but it also looks like she wasn't. I mean, it literally made her look like she didn't belong in the same organization, much less in a title fight. Um, it, it, what, it, what it reminded me of is going back to something like Mark Coleman versus Murray Smith, where you've got this wrestler who is a fish out of water doing anything else. That's how bad that loss was. I mean, she, she, she legitimately didn't even try to strike with Bianca. Um, it was go for the takedown go for broke and that's it that was all she had and it makes me think if if cynthia can keep it on the feet if she can just simply do that she's got something going and to be fair to carlos barza she did win the inaugural title she did win that season of the ultimate fighter she did beat the current champ rose namajunas so she's got some incredible um names to her record and even then you know she's won a couple fights since Joanna, so she's not proven herself to be completely um, you know, as, as far as, you know, the depth of the division, there is room for her. That's true. But, um, I just happen to think that Cynthia, she's just got too much going on for her. I think she's got too much momentum. She is rated higher above her. She is six and oh, she has looked so good in her uh, career so far. And I just think that she's going to take it to Carlos Barza. And, um, yeah, I, I think that's who's going to get to win. <coughs> I like it, man. That's, that's good insight. I, it's a tough one to call because, like, because we were talking about a little bit before. I think you'd mentioned it when we were talking about Magni and Condit just now, where it's it's easier for someone like me at least to look at people's records and see who they've defeated. And like when you see Asparza's defeated Rose, it's like wow, yeah, that's a that's a big deal. Uh, you see some of these other women that she's been in the in the ring with, whether whether she won or lost, the experience, but. Esparza just hasn't really impressed me as of late. She just hasn't. And I think Kavio, I'm, I'm taking her as well. Um, I think Kavio, it's just, it's it's just, you know, it, it's, I wouldn't want to say like it's just a hunch. Like I just think that she's, it's just, I don't know. I, I don't, I just don't see Esparza getting it done for whatever reason. And Kavio, I, I, did we confirm, is she undefeated? I want to double check that. She is. She is. She's 6-0. 6-0. I mean, and yeah, the last one was Yoan Calderwood, who's a tough fighter. Uh, and they fought in Scotland, which is like Calderwood's, like that's one of her spots, yeah. you know. So yeah, I'm taking Gavio as well, man. I like that pick. Yeah, um, and you know, another thing too about Esparza, you know, I, I mean, I, I think very few, few people would doubt that if the two of them were to fight again, Esparza versus Dami Yunus again, that Carla would lose that fight, you know. Um and I, I think a part of it is almost like when Leona Machida lost for the first time when he was, you know, <laughs> Joe Rogan called it the Machida era. Welcome to the Machida era. And immediately after that, you know, he gets into these two fights with Shogun, and Shogun knocks him out in the second one, which was unbelievably shocking to me. I was a huge Machida fan back then, and everybody loved Shogun. Um, so I was a fan of both, but I just didn't see that happening. And it seemed like after that loss, there was almost like, by, by the way that he was countering those flurries that um, Leota was doing, um, Shogun able to get over the top of his punches and knock him down and stop him. I, it seems like there was a key that was unlocked where people then started to beat Leota. But before that, nobody was even touching the guy. I mean, he had just decimated um, 
everybody on the way up. Just decimated, just got the title, looks incredible in every single fight. Um, actually, Tito almost got him in a, a triangle, which was actually probably the closest fight he had. And I think that there's a bit of that with Esparzi here when uh, I think she just got so deeply, deeply exposed when she fought uh, against Joanna. And so I think now it's a simple roadmap. You keep the fight standing, you're going to win. You know, And that's easier said than done, depending on how good your defensive wrestling is. But um, that's, that's my take from it. And even then, she's got some missions on the ground, so there is a danger to being taken down. Um, on Carlos Barca's ends, but yeah. Yeah, I like it, man. I like it. So we're both going with Connor, both going with Cavillo. We're going into uh, Dan Hooker and uh, this is another dude. Have a hard time saying his name. Diakessi? Diakessi. 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 It's like you don't pronounce the I for some reason. That's so weird. In this fight, I believe this fight was supposed to be on the undercard until the Rivera switch up happen oh, was it? i think so because i think dan hooker i think this has happened with him more than once just even just this year i think i feel like I've, i feel like every time i hear the name dan hooker it's like it, it's it's like something like this where <coughs> it's like hey this is another opportunity for dan hooker to get a whole bunch of eyes on him like like hey we were supposed to be on the prelims now he's on the main card awesome uh yeah. uh as far as this fight goes i don't i don't know a ton about Diakessi, Diakessi, I'm going to be honest. I, I do know Dan oh, Hooker, you know, because I, I, Hooker's been in there with, you know, Massimo Blanco, Yair, Yair Rodriguez, uh, guys like that. He beat Ross Pearson uh, very recently. But, yeah. yeah, go ahead and break this one down for me, man, because it sounds like you know a bit more about Mark than I do. Yeah, do yourself a favor and look at, and I don't know how to say this guy's name, but his second fight in the UFC um, was against a guy, his first name is Timu, that's the easy part, but Pakalin, I don't remember how to say his name, destroyed that guy with his KO. So if you were to go back and watch that fight, that was the one right before Jakar close, um, I would definitely go back and watch that fight. He's got some incredible knockouts at Bama and things like that. He is, he is somebody you have to keep your eye on, and Jakar close, to his credit, was able to control it uh, he, with wrestling. That was his big thing. Um, and Diakasey also injured himself in that fight, so he was basically fighting on one leg. Um, so um, I, I think that that was a bit of an aberration, but I also think Jakar, you know, to his credit, was able to control him, and I think that was the reason why he won that fight as just as much. I don't, I don't know. It's hard to say because, I mean, fighting on one leg, that's quite the handicap. I mean, it's you know, that's how Primus just beat one of the best uh, lightweights in the world in uh, Chandler, you know, fighting in Bellator NYC earlier this year. Yeah, that so, was nasty. I like when I was watching that fight, dude, like I thought, cause I tried, yeah. Cause it turned out that his leg like wasn't that messed up. I guess it was like no. some sort, but when I was watching it, it's one of those where I'm like, I'm watching it with like my hands over my eyes, like looking through the yep. cracks of my fingers because I'm just waiting for that to fold, you know? And it's like, Oh yeah, it's cringeworthy. Another Anderson Silva moment. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, Dio Casey, uh, I would definitely. Uh, this is one of the guys to watch. Um, you know, uh, I'm currently working on a list for guys to watch in 2018, and um, I haven't finished my list. So uh, right now, he is tentatively on that list just because he's looked so incredible despite that last loss, which I really, which I really do think. I mean, when you Putting that factor of losing a leg, 
And like we just talked about Primus versus Chandler, it, it is a world, you know, difference maker. So, but then Dan Hooker, when you look at his fight in Auckland against Ross Pearson, he destroyed Ross Pearson. So on paper, this fight is going to be, which is why I think it's on the main card. Um, it's going to be fireworks. It's going to be an incredible fight where these guys are going to be going at it. Um, so you, you know how that goes, you know, a lot of times where you make that assumption that it's going to be this incredible fight. It turns out to be a bit of a stinker. Um, we've seen that happen many times, but I just really think that these guys are both going for the kill. Um, and when you look at their KO losses, I mean, they're some of the best of the year. I mean, they're right there at the top. So I'm going to go ahead and say, though, I think Dia Casey, I think he's the one that's got uh, the, the shot at this one. Dan Hooker's been off and on. He's won, lost, won, lost, won, lost. And he's been around since, uh, it looks like, 2014, I believe. Let me jump back over to his record. So he he first fought in September of 2014. So he's been around for a little bit. Um, and he's had a bit of a mixed record. So if I were to go off that chain of momentum, the way things seem to be going for him, this would be quite the step up. So, wow, and you know, um, I'm... I'm looking over Dia Casey's record also while we're talking and because I'm like beating myself up over here like how do I not know more about this guy and it's because coincidentally the last three times he's fought they were all on the uh on fight night shows or ultimate fighter finales yeah. and the last I, I saw his fight with Close or Klaus how you say I, I do remember that now close but the other two, I caught the main card, but never got to go back and watch the prelims of those two shows. That's why I'm so uneducated on this guy. Because I'm like, where? how do I not know? Okay, that makes sense, though. Because I, I do remember it was a split decision to close. But, okay. Gotcha. I was going to, I know, I'm going to take Hooker for the fact of, I, obviously, I know a bit more about him. And I the, the knockout of Ross Pearson is very fresh in my mind. Yeah. So I'm going to take Hooker, and hey, for the sake of of being a little different, I'll take Hooker. But I'm once again another reason why I'm glad I had Jason Hart from MMA on Point on the show today because he's able to provide me he, a little safety net here for when I don't. Hey, I don't claim to know everything. I'm just a fan like everybody else. You know what I mean? I give some insight when I can, but you know it's good to have someone else to play off of. So there, yeah. there you go. Um, up next, man. This is this is a fight, and if you want to talk about names. I, of course, know how to say Namorga Madoff, so we'll, we'll go ahead and say that. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, but hey, his first name is the debatable one. I never know if it's Khabib or Habib. I don't know what's actually, uh, a, like, the technical. I say Khabib, but I... I, I don't say Khabib. You know. That's what I always hear. We're going to say, and I just go with that. Right. So we're going to say Khabib Namorga Madoff taking on Edson Barbosa. This fight fucking rules. I'm, I, <laughs> I love this fight. Um... Khabib, I mean, if somehow someone listening to this show hasn't seen him fight, uh, he's one of those like real specialists that people like to talk about. Where his his ground and pound, his his judo and wrestling is just is just so insane. I mean, this kid, I say kid, when he was a kid, uh, he trained by wrestling like bear cubs. I mean, like yeah. there's videos of him wrestling around with actual bears. I mean. You know, the the big X factor, the big question to to this one in my mind is can Khabib make the weight? Because that's been the big underlying issue. You know, he was supposed to have that big fight with Tony Ferguson a little while back. That's a fight that everyone still wants to see. 
Um, Barbosa, on the other hand, man, like if you want to if you want to know about Edson Barbosa, just listen to Joe Rogan talk about him because the way that he talks about him is it, I can't do it any better. I mean, because he's the guy. He's up the he's got the fastest the the fastest kicks, the fastest spin in his heel kicks. He's got the 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 most whip in, in and snap in in his leg kicks. This guy's just he's so fast in his his stand up. I mean, if you want to watch, you know, if you want to watch somebody almost get killed in a UFC fight, watch him fight Terry Adam. I mean, that just that yeah. that kick and just it just amazing stuff. So, I'm so pumped for this fight because if Nurmagomedov wins, um, which I I am going to take Nurmagomedov as my prediction to win. If he wins and he makes the weight without issue, he's just he's the kind of guy that like he would give Conor McGregor an absolute fit if he were to fight a guy like Conor. He, he'd also I think he gives a lot of problems to Tony Ferguson. He, he gives problems to everybody in the division because until I see somebody who can stop what he does to people, I just it's like we were talking about with Machida. You you touched on that where like. You know, it was unfathomable to think that Machida could even get touched at at one point. You know, and, and until we yeah. saw Shogun, you know, <clears throat> in my opinion, Shogun won their first fight as well, although the decision went right. to Machida. But once we saw somebody kind of unlock that Pandora's box and, and show us the blueprint of what it took, then things changed. But that I just haven't seen anybody come close to Nurmagomedov. And what's most impressive to me is when he fought Michael Johnson, apparently. As he was pounding Johnson's face on the mat, he was telling Dana White through the cage, <laughs> yeah. give me my title shot. Like, yeah. this is too, I mean, that's insane. To, um, and, and, and this isn't all number of made of either, either. I mean, Barbosa is a legitimate top five type welterweight in the world, top five, top 10, like whatever. He's, he's there. He's in that conversation. He's a great fighter. I love this fight, um, and I'm taking a Morgan Madoff, but Jason, what are your thoughts on this one, man? I, I absolutely love this. Yeah, um, th- this is a real, because uh, by all means, the, what, the, that first interim title fight should have been, and they tried to make it all the way back at UFC 209 between Nurmagomedov Madoff and Ferguson, but, you know, Nurmagomedov Madoff had his weight issues. Um, he arguably could be the interim champ, and God is, oh man, uh, every time I think about that fight and how many times they try to set it up, it sucks so bad. And I still want to see it again. I'll go through all of the pre-fight stuff and, you know, like risk all of that, uh, you know, and I think, I think the UFC will. I think everybody is on board to trying to give that another shot of having those guys fight again. But, I mean, I mean, this guy has been unstoppable. And he beat RDA. I mean, he was the last guy to beat RDA before RDA took the title at 155. And, and it was RDA convincing. At that point looked unstoppable. Right. You know? And the Morgan Maddow's win was convincing. I mean, it wasn't even like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, right. I mean, like, because when we think of like RDA oh, and how dominant he is, I mean, Morgan Maddow dominated him. Yes. Yes. He he took him. All, I mean, he, he legitimately wasn't winning any part of that fight. You know, it was all under Morgan Maddow. So, um, you know, he's got this incredible record, and then you got somebody like Barbosa, and so this is the classic matchup here. You know, you wrestle a boxer and you punch a wrestler. You know, you these two are in this ever, you know, exchanging battle between one another of having their weaknesses be their very strength on one end, you know. So it's, 
it's such a good matchup. It's such an interesting fight. And when you look at somebody like Barboza, uh, you know, even his last win was one of the best knockouts in UFC history um, when he beat Benil Dariush. And I don't know if you've seen that video that circulated around, but, you know, somebody was, uh, they actually kind of broke down the setup for what Benil was doing. Benil would try to punch, and every time he would do it, he would throw a certain punch. I'm going to say it was just a right hand coming down as a jab, and then as soon as he would throw that, he would go for a double leg. And um, at a point, Barbosa realized what was going on, and so it was like, a, I want to say it was the third time that it happened, saw the punch, and immediately jumped up and threw his knee and just knocked Benil Dariush the hell out. Benil Dariush was doing everything right. I mean, he was arguably winning that fight to that point. So, um, Barbosa is incredibly intelligent, able to read things, able to adjust his game plan mid-fight and do incredible things like that. And so when you look at this, I mean, they're really the two worst type of fights for themselves. Michael Johnson, I think a lot of people forget this, despite Michael Johnson being totally dominated by Nurmagomedov through the second on through the third round, that first round, it looks like Johnson had, I don't know, I don't know if he necessarily rocked him, but he landed some fantastic punches on him. Yes. And it got everybody's attention. They're like, whoa, you know, and it really looks like there was going to be a great fight until, you know, Nurmagomedov's Madoff's game point really took over. And so the question is, can Barboza do that? Somebody that has devastating knockout power, you're dealing with more power than even Michael Johnson has. Michael Johnson's had some incredible knockouts, like the one he had over Dustin Poirier. So what you're looking at, I think here, is the greatest type of matchup you have here. And I honestly, like, I think people are going to go nuts on me for saying this, but I think it's I think it's really tough to call because Nurmagomedov Madoff has such a big fan base right now. Um, I think conventional wisdom is going to say that Nurmagomedov is going to pick him. But just for the sake of gamesmanship, and I'm probably wrong about this, but I'm just going to go ahead and say Barbosa uh, shocks the world and... Um, you know, stops all these takedowns or, you know, figures out a way to land a combination and get it done. Wow. I, I like that prediction, man, because <clears throat> that's totally possible. You know, it, it's when it's kind of <clears throat> in, you know, the same weight class, of course, but uh, this is like kind of the debate right now of, you know, who's Connor going to fight next, you know, at lightweight and, and right. uh, regardless of either of either of these guys winning, you know, you have Tony Ferguson out there still as well, who, who has defeated Barbosa who has never fought Nurmagomedov, and you have when people have asked me or have talked to friends or whatever the case is about the idea of Ferguson fighting uh, Connor, I look at it kind of how you just kind of broke down Barbosa and Nurmagomedov, where you know if you're thinking about it, where like you know Michael Johnson put hands on him, imagine what Barbosa could do to him if he put hands on him. Um, that's kind of where I'm at with like when I think about like Tony Ferguson fighting a guy like Connor. Where I'm like, hey, if a guy like Lando Venata, who's one of my favorite fighters in the world to watch, by the way, oh, I love right, Lando yeah. Venata. But if a guy like that can put hands on Tony Ferguson, imagine what a guy like Connor would do if you put hands on him. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. when you when you think about it that way, um, I think that's a good. I think that's a really good reference point. Um, I'm still gonna take Khabib, but I think that yeah. the, the the line of thinking makes total sense because, I mean, as powerful as as Johnson is. Barbosa is more powerful and faster. So it's, yep. you know, then that's what makes this fight so great. 
but you know, at the end of the day, if I have, if I have to choose what I think is most likely, what I think is most likely is going to be Nurmagomedov bringing it to the ground as fast as he can and and just doing what he does. Uh, yeah. But it's a hell of a fight, man. And it, I, I like I like that we're different on that one because that's going to be the one. That's I think I think of all these fights, this is the most interesting fight to me on this show. So. I agree with you on that, actually. Yeah. Um, now, that's not to say this main event that we're going to talk about right now isn't interesting. It's just interesting for completely different reasons. Uh, we have Chris Cyborg taking on Holly Holm. Man. What a world. What a world, man. Uh, <laughs> what a world that we live in that... And this isn't to discredit Holly Holm at all, but, like... I mean, let's, I'm going to pull a record up real quick, right? I mean, let's just talk about this. We've got... Taking a second to actually get to the... Get to the record because you got all our boxing fights in the way, also. Right. <laughs> all right, we got uh. So, the, what the point I want to bring up here, I guess, is you know she knocks out Ronda Rousey, shocks the world, the whole deal. Now, this is obviously playing hindsight twenty twenty, and it's impossible because I wasn't doing the podcast at the time. But when when Holly Holm came into the UFC. I wasn't by any means saying she's going to be the one to beat Ronda Rousey, but what I was saying was she's the only person I've seen so far that has a stylistic game plan that would be incredibly difficult for Rousey to deal with. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and you know, we see her do it. She, she wins with the head kick. Then she goes into the fight with Misha Tate, a fight that I believe she was winning until she got caught in that, uh, in that submission, yeah, that rear naked yeah. choke. Um, so... You know, so in so once again, not not a big deal. I mean, Holly Holmes still a badass top fighter. Goes into the fight with Valentina Shevchenko, same kind of thing. Shevchenko is a, Shevchenko is incredibly underrated in my opinion. Like she doesn't get the yeah. kind of exposure and in, in mainstream uh, press and all like than these other women do. But she's just as good as a lot of them. I mean, point being, she defeated Holly Holm by unanimous decision. I mean. Straight up, and and she's had these fights with Amanda Nunez that have been close. I mean, and stuff. I mean, like there's, there's that. Um, but then you get into what really, really pisses me off, and and this isn't Holly Holmes' fault at all. But you get into the Jermaine Durandamy fight, which, in my opinion, was the most worthless title fight in the history of of the UFC. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And 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 the reason that I even bring this up is because we're. It's so weird that we're talking about a women's bantamweight championship, or sorry, a women's featherweight championship, when there's no women's featherweight division. Like, there's no, yeah. you know, and Durandamy yeah. won the belt in controversial fashion. I mean, she punched Holm after the bell, I think, more than once. Um, or twice, yeah. twice, yeah. So, um, so you have that, and it's like this. To me, this belt is just so worthless because there's no... My point is this, I guess, and, and this isn't a knock on Holm. I'm just using her as the example of kind of setting this all up because since then, Holm has uh, knocked out Betch Correa. You know, and Holm is still an elite-level women's fighter. And stylistically, her versus Cyborg is very interesting to me. But this belt just means nothing to me because, like, w- regardless of who wins, like, if Cyborg wins this fight, then what? I mean, like, who the hell is gonna who the hell is gonna fight her next? I mean, this is Holmes, the only person that even has a chance. I feel like, I mean, maybe Shevchenko would as well. I I don't want to discredit her. Maybe someone like Amanda Nunez would or something. But like, but Cyborg, for all intents and purposes, this division is is for Cyborg. You know, they they have to do something with her. She's under contract to Zufa. She 
she fights in the UFC now. She holds the belt. Duran to me, I mean, I I guess I'll just say, I mean, I, I from what I understand, she was just afraid to fight Cyborg. Like she just she just said, "Here's the belt. I'm going to go back down to 135," and she still hasn't fought since then. Um, yeah, she made up a big hoopla about steroids and stuff like that. Right, but at this point, it's like you just got to accept it, though, right? I mean, she she failed, but that was a long time ago. And yeah, and, and you know, 2011. yeah. And, and she's only lost one fight in her career, and I think it was the first fight she ever had. So, you know, so Cyborg's a worthy champion. And I'm, I'm, it's a long way of coming around and saying, like, this fight itself is a great fight between Holm and Cyborg, but I just don't know where the hell the division goes from here after this yeah. is done, because I don't think there's any interest in any other fight at this weight class. Um, now, it could be wrong, but... Um, Go ahead, go ahead and give me your thoughts. Yeah, that's true. Um, That's true. That's because has has she come over from Invicta yet? Has she fought in the UFC? Um, no, that I believe that was supposed to be her first fight for the promotion, Megan Anderson. Because oh yeah, that's right. She won the interim uh, when Cyborg took off in the UFC, and then she got the official once. Cyborg started fighting in the UFC. That's right. And then Megan Anderson was supposed to fight Cyborg and it fell off. And that's what led to Cyborg versus, uh, Avenger. Avenger. Yep. 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 That all makes sense. So, Hey, but, uh, I'm gonna let you take it away on this one, man. Break this fight down. I want you to give me your, uh, your prediction first on this one. Uh, because like I said, I'm down, I'm down on the division, but I'm, I love this fight. Uh, what are your thoughts, Jason? Yeah, man. So, um, yeah, I think you bring up a really good point, you know, because I think that's a really, it's kind of an overshadowed conversation. I think that was a part of the conversation, especially starting in the beginning of the year. And then people have just gotten so excited about this fight. There's been a bit of time, and they just kind of want to see this fight. And aren't necessarily thinking about what the hell does the division look like after this. That's a really great question. Um, it's one of these weird things, too, you know, because... You know, when you first started talking about it, the reason why I started saying what a world, because, I mean, back just a couple of years ago, everybody hated Cyborg. Right. And, and I feel like the time that that turned over, where people started to change their mind, was when they saw how she was basically being treated by the UFC for, and I don't want to, you know, throw the hyperbole on it, and some people really get worked up about it, but when she was coming in to fight, and she was kind of wait, and you saw all the video that got released of her just crying and just going through this really, really rough time. I think that was when public opinion finally started to shift. And we still see it now, you know, when I make a video, you'll still see some really, really ugly comments about her and how she's a man and all this kind of stuff. And Ronda Rousey famously poked fun at her. Uh, there were other fighters that called her hormonally male. I, I, I can never find this article, and I wish, I wish, I wish I could. But there was this article that somebody um, who actually came from a journalist background that was another female fighter that had done something for uh, MMA fighting, and that was the title, um, that she was a hormonally male fighter. And it was just like, whoa, you know, just really, really intense stuff. And, you know, I, I kind of tend to be a little bit with Duran to me on this one, where I don't necessarily buy the fact that she's off steroids either. And I, I'm dying to make a video, and I actually tried to reach out to Luke Thomas on this to work together on making a video, and he didn't reply. So I guess I guess we're too small time at this point. But um, there there was a survey that was done back in 2007 
and I want to say you and I talked about this at Starbucks, but there was a survey that was done in 2007 done by WADA. So WADA and USADA are pretty much the same level of testing. And uh, they've done an anonymous survey. And uh, keep in mind this year, only 4% of their athletes across all the different sports that they test, you know, it's uh, basically the major four sports that you think of here in America and everything in between, they test it all. Um, they got 4%, uh, you know, t uh, like failed tests, you know, for, or, or positive tests, you know, somebody tests positive for a banned substance. Only 4% of their athletes tested positive for it. But in that same year, this was published by The Guardian, by the way, so a very, very well-respected um, uh, institution Credible, as yeah. far as journalism goes. Right. Um, about 58% to 59% of their athletes on an anonymous survey where there was no retaliation whatsoever admitted to taking banned substances. And I don't know that the, I don't know that USADA necessarily has gone to this level to where we're stamping out everything just yet. And it's, it's opening up a Pandora's box, but you know, when people go so hard on, you know, like Anderson Silva and John Jones and all these other people saying they tested positive, it would be great if we lived in a black and white world where everything was that simple. The tests are accurate. They catch everybody. And I don't know that that's necessarily the case, but that being said, this is where we are, and this is what it looks like. And um, and I'm not saying Cyborg is taking anything. I just think it's so funny how just a couple of years have erased all of that hate, and for the most part, it's stamped out. Um, that's that's literally my only intention of bringing it up. It's just how crazy the public perception has changed. Well, well even at even um, at one point, I mean, I remember Dana White and Tony Hinchcliffe and Joe Rogan. We're like doing a podcast and they, they were talking about the size of her penis. I mean, and, that, and that's the, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. the guy, the president of the UFC saying that. I mean, what, what the hell perception are you expecting? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I, I just think it's silly to think that all of that conjecture, all that stuff that we had is all of a sudden now gone because I mean, does she look different than she did in 2011? No, she doesn't, you know, uh, is there any, uh, <laughs> there's no proof to say that she has taken it so i mean and that's also another thing i hate too so let me let me make that point as well like some people say the reason why johnny hendrix hasn't been winning is because he's you know the usada era it's like well no i actually started losing before that but i hate it when people jump to that as the reason for somebody getting on a skid and start losing because it's all based on nothing you're just you might as well be saying that Thor exists, and because you can't prove Thor doesn't exist, that it might as well be true. Doesn't doesn't work that way, you know. Until you have proof, there is nothing out there. So, so I'm bringing up a lot of questions, I'm bringing up a lot of points, um, all just to say it's just crazy that everything has kind of come full circle to where she's all of a sudden this fan favorite. It's just insane, and it speaks to the fickleness. I, I think just the fans in general and all that stuff to where they forget all that, but it also speaks to the powers of a story to where she can. You know, put that out there in a documentary shows what she's been going through, and you can win people's sympathy, and it's one of the better part of humanity. So uh, I'm jumping way into this, and this is part of what I love about the sport so much is, you know, just all these different things. But when you look at Cyborg versus Holly Holm, um, you know, really digging into the fight, Dana White has been saying that Holly Holm will be the best, <laughs> the best um, female MMA fighter ever, which I think is hyperbole one-on-one considering that she just beat Pachko Heda, which broke a three-fight losing streak. Um, so it's, it's interesting. But I, I think I'm going to go ahead and say that when you're looking at this, Cyborg 
I think she's a bit more of a wild fighter. I don't think she's the most technical fighter. She's not as bad as a Gabby Garcia like we talked about earlier that will just rush in and go crazy and basically throw her like she's in a street fight, which Gabby does. Um, Cyborg is certainly more technical than that. Um, and you can see her pick apart people sometimes on the feet. But when it, when it comes to some sort of actual training, some sort of classical training, she is very wild in comparison to Holden. And when you think of a style of matchup, and I think this is the reason why people have been so excited about this fight for so long, Holm, like, I mean, what did she do to Ronda Rousey? Ronda Rousey would come in. I mean, she just knocked out Dutch Cohea herself, you know. People were thinking that she was good on the feet, that she had all this ability. When you see it matched up against somebody that has those fundamentals, I mean, you you saw it every single time an exchange would happen between her and Ronda Rousey. She would come in, she would do her thing, she would try to land her combinations, she would get on her horse and get out of there, and then reset and do it all over again. Cyborg is not that way, and I think you're seeing a very disciplined fighter versus a very raw, very powerful fighter. And so, what I think, what what I honestly think uh, is probably going to happen here is, I don't want to say probably, but I, what I think can definitely happen here is, I think we can definitely see Cyborg being picked away, uh, being picked apart by um, an elite striker, something I don't think Cyborg is. And she can knock her out, it's possible. I think that what we're going to see, at least on the feet, um, is, is home doing that. Home is very strong, hard to take down. Misha Tate was able to get through that. But I think that's going to be the real challenge is I think Cyborg is going to lose on the feet if it stays on the feet. I think her best bet is on the ground. So the question is, can she get it to the ground, and can she do something from there if it's taken there, um, and, and at the very least control the fight. So this very long diatribe, <laughs> apologize for it okay, I'm going to go ahead and say um, Holm is going to take it um, and I think she's going to pick her apart on the feet which classically she's not a knockout of race potential for her to beat Cyborg but I don't think this means like Dana White's claiming she's the greatest ever because she's she's lost in her division against people like Misha Tate so that's my extremely long prediction Holly Holm um, we'll just go ahead and say by decision <coughs> excuse me I like it man I'm I'm with you. I think that it, it, I think the most likely scenario for this fight is Holm staying on the outside and and just doing her thing. I mean, it's it's a lot like what you said. I Cyborg absolutely has the knockout power, but Cyborg hasn't fought somebody like Holly Holm who can who can just get in and out and has that kind of kickboxing uh, skill. You know, somebody who can really leg kick you then punch you, then go to the body, then go back to the head. Then if we're a cyborg is, you know, people draw the physical comparison to her and Vanderlei Silva, but the, the fighting style, sim- <laughs> but the fighting style is similar too. it's like the head down, short arms kind of hooks and, you know, drop your head and just swing for the fences. And there's nothing that the women that cyborg has fought up to this point could do anything about that. But I think Holm is just, stylistically just a really really bad matchup for cyborg um yeah i think it's a great matchup from the sense that i think we're gonna get a stand-up uh fight which i you know i think you know i i'm gonna go with home too i did i just think that i just i just see it similar to the rousey fight kind of like what you touched on like i i think it'll be more competitive than that but yeah but it's 
You know, it, it, I could totally see Cyborg putting her head down, swinging for the fences, and Holm just taking a step back and kicking her in the head. I mean, just same kind of thing. Um, yeah. Hey, what would you? And this is obviously once again just armchair quarterbacking and like, like what what would happen? Because we just we both touched on it also a minute ago. Like, what happens to this this division afterwards? And we'll kind of end on this for this podcast, but. Um, you know, obviously being in, in the pro wrestling world that I'm in, you know, Ronda Rousey is, you know, from what we all understand, she's going to be starting with the WWE very soon. Uh, Shayna Baszler just made her uh, WWE NXT debut last night, actually, on, uh, yeah, and she's, uh, I mean, she's done some matches for the WWE already through their Mae Young Classic, but now she's actually a signed part of the roster, um, and we're seeing kind of the the four horsewomen, or at least a few of them from the MMA world coming into the pro wrestling world where there's also a women's four horsewomen. So like there's, there's a lot of stuff they can do with this uh, in the world of pro wrestling. But the reason I bring that up is because there's part of me that thinks in the, in the era that we're in right now, if Holly Holm wins this belt, there's going to be talk of Ronda Rousey coming back again and fighting her. As, as absolutely ridiculous as that scenario is, as much as it should not in a million years happen, like, because, like, what else, like, what is Holly Holm, let's say Holly Holm wins this belt, do you run it back with Shevchenko at, at Featherweight? Do you, do you run it back with, does Nunez move up? Like, like, what do you, what do you do? Where do you go? And it's, especially if Cyborg wins, what do you, what do you do? I mean, there's just no point in, in having this, this title, in my opinion, but, yeah. I know. I feel like the Rousey talk will spark up again. It's, it's something I don't want to happen. By the way, it's, this isn't like me Why saying does that like, make sense, like it doesn't like, at all. I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum, but like. I, I, I'm not saying it's even going to be like educated fans saying it. I just, we just like right. think about it because like the, like I'm talking from like a casual fan perspective. Most of these right. people that are going to watch this fight from a casual fan perspective are going to be like, Oh, Holly Holm just knocked out Ronda Rousey. They're not even going to know about what's happened in between. Most likely they're, they're, they're going to be sold this, this, this fight of Holly Holm is getting the opportunity to be the only one to beat ronda rousey and also beat this legendary chris cyborg that we're hearing about and i mean i'm just i'm obviously it's a it's far off and it's not something that i think is actually going to happen i just i'm already preparing myself for it mentally as far as like going on twitter and just seeing because you know you mentioned you know the, the 12 to thirteen thousand people to follow me a lot of those people really i mean some of them are, are hardcore fans but most of them aren't and most of them are pro wrestling fans but I'm just waiting for my Twitter to blow up with, now that Holmes, Holmes the champion, it's time for Rousey to come back, right? And I'm just going to be like, oh my god, how is this even, how is this conversation even happening? But I just I just think that it will. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that the fight's going to happen necessarily, but I just feel like the, the Rousey talk's going to pop up again. And I just think it needs to it needs, it needs to stop because it looks like she's she's got a thing carved out for her in pro wrestling. At least we all saw what happened in the Nunez fight. I mean, she doesn't need to be in there anymore, but... Those two names will always be synonymous with each other, I think, as far as the casual fan goes. Holly Holm and Ronda Rousey will always just kind of be linked sure. like that, you know? So. Um, can I take a second to insult your audience then? No, <laughs> um, that, that would just blow my mind. If, I, I, I guess I, I'm having a hard time seeing why even the casual fan would see that. Because I think casual fan, 
much like if McGregor were to fight Mayweather again, you know, because McGregor's been trying to campaign for that. I think um, much like that scenario, I think everybody's just going to be like, yeah, why would I pay to see that again? You know, um, and the casual fan doesn't know how to allegedly bootleg like you never did. <laughs> and I'm aware of it in my past. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's so funny. My thought is, I think the simple solution is Megan Anderson. Megan Anderson was who Cyborg was originally going to fight back in July. Megan Anderson would make sense. I mean, this is classically where, you know, they cherry-pick people from, from Invicta. And then even somebody like Shevchenko could come up and fight. You know, that could be interesting, too, because Shevchenko is a bit disenfranchised now that she's lost to um, Amanda Nunes twice. She's talked about going down to 125, so, you know, that's in all likelihood what is possible. But if you think of matchups and digging into the well of, you know, past matchups or, you know, um, fairly well-known fighters, and, you know, and I think she was the favorite for the Amanda Nunes fight. I think people actually thought she was going to win that fight. So when you look at all those different things, I, th- I think there are a couple of fights that make sense internally that, yeah, the casual fan isn't necessarily going to be like, Chef Chico. They don't have a clue who that is. Right. Um, or Megan Anderson. But I do think that what makes the most sense is probably to go towards uh, Megan Anderson after this. So. Yeah, I think the I think the real the real thing they need to do is just absorb that Invicta one forty five division. I mean, just bring the all the top fighters from over there into the UFC, to, so you can at least have a one forty five division. Like, if you're gonna have this belt, we need we need contenders in the UFC. Yeah, I wish I could say I'm super familiar with what one forty five you know pounds you know featherweight women's looks like across the board. Uh, but it's just not something I've paid a ton of attention to. So, um, you know, as far as that, that goes, I am lacking a bit in imagination. So that's that's something that you hope, you know, the matchmakers at the UFC have some sort of plan. But <laughs> as we've seen in the past, they don't necessarily have that much of a plan. So um, it's interesting. Yeah, you never know, man. Hey, well, Jason, thanks again for coming on, dude. We talked for for people <laughs> for, for people will hear most likely what you guys are going to hear first is going to be uh, our talk of, of this here, the UFC 219. Um, then I'll put a separate podcast out of our thoughts on uh, what's going on in Ryzen, just as kind of like a bonus for people to listen to. Um, and as far as uh, what you guys do over at MMA on Point, man, uh, take this opportunity once again to let everybody know where they can find all of your stuff, how to follow you, all that good stuff, man. Sure. So, um, again, uh, like you said, it's MMA on point. So just search for us right there on YouTube. We'll come up. If you search for us on Google, we'll show up there as well. But yeah, so, uh, what we do, uh, most of the time are list videos or, an- or analytical videos. And what we try to do is hardcore fans, you know, as much as we can, um, you know, lists are pretty, I don't know what's the word. They're pretty surface level, you know, uh, when you think about it. But we always try to challenge that. We try to add in in-depth things that people aren't necessarily thinking about. So it's not your typical like watch mojo style list where it's just like, oh, this is what happened, and that's it. We try to interject a lot of history and a lot of extra things into there. And especially that happens when you see our um, in-depth analysis videos where we really try, you know, question things. Like I've questioned the WME area. Uh, a lot of people think the WME era is a lot worse than the, you know, Zupa era is not technically correct, but we'll just say that for the Petita era. A lot of people will assume that there's a whole lot more money fights and things like that, but there's 
I think when you look at it, there's not a lot of truth to that. A USADA one is coming down the pipeline that will eventually happen on, you know, really looking into this stuff and questioning conventional wisdom. So we really like to dig into it, whether it's through our top 10 list or directly with our analytic videos. But check us out there. We're also on Twitter. We suck on Twitter. We suck on Instagram and we suck on Facebook. So if you could follow us on any of those, that would be a huge help because we're desperately seeking to grow those fan bases. So. But you guys, Thanks. but you guys rock on YouTube. You might suck on Twitter and suck on Instagram, but you guys are killing it on YouTube, man. Fifty-five thousand subscribers in less than, or right around five months or whatever, man. That's that's they can't understate how impressive that is, man. For those listening, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that listen to this show that have their own YouTube channels that can't even imagine having that kind of success so quickly. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, um, but the goal is by December to hit 150k and. Um, in the next couple of months to start adding on actually doing articles and things like that. And, and then our number one goal is for Tom and myself, who are the originators of the channel right now, it's just the two of us. We're just a couple of YouTubers. We're planning on going to international fight week in the UFC is actual credentialed media. And if that doesn't happen, if for whatever reason we're not approved, we're still going to go there and we're going to, I don't know, you know, fuck shit up. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, man. <laughs> I love it. The least articulate way to <laughs> I love it. And speaking of credentials, for those listening, you know, there's there's a video up there actually right now where Tom went to a Bellator event. They got credentialed for that. Um, really cool video. Shows you some kind of behind the scenes stuff and kind of what it looks like in like the media rooms at some of these places. It isn't it isn't always what you'd expect, you know. So it's yeah. uh it's a really cool insight into into kind of the world that guys that you know you might be a fan of that that cover the sport kind of kind of a, a, a view from their perspective on what these things look like so uh i thought that that was a really interesting video as well yeah man uh i'm tremendously proud of tom for putting that together he put so much damn work into that if you guys watch a lot of youtube i'm a youtube nut so you know when you think of guys like casey neistat that somehow do vlogs every single day that are well produced and well edited and in the case of Casey Neistat, he shoots it and edits it himself. He doesn't send it to a, a separate editor, which some YouTubers do. It's incredible what people are able to get done and the amount of care that they put in. And um, for what we did, we're tremendously proud of it. And, uh, man, this is the dream. You know, by the end of the year, we will be doing this all the time. I'll never be at home. I'll be, I'll be out going to these events and fight nights. I'll be going out to Bellator events. I, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish we had the capital to fund it right now to go to, you know, Bellator and see Rory McDonald fight for the title against Douglas Lima in the beginning of the heavyweight Grand Prix with Shell Sonnen versus Rampage. But we're not quite there yet. But, uh, yeah, this is just the beginning of it. Um, if you guys do follow us on that channel, you will see that journey. You will see all this. We, we try to let you guys in as much as we can. All right, everyone. And that was Jason from MMA On Point. Uh, we talked a little bit after the show and a little bit before, so the conversation just kind of cuts off there because there's actually a, I guess I'll call it a bonus episode of the Fight Talk podcast where me and Jason talk a whole lot about Ryzen, and if you've heard this episode of this show, one of these Ryzen shows has happened, possibly the other. I don't know when I'm going to put that out, but we basically just kind of shoot the shit about Ryzen, Ian McCall, Mirko Krokop, Horiguchi, Gabby Garcia, you know, the people that are doing stuff in Japan right now. And we just talked some general MMA, but that'll be another, uh, some more content for another episode, we'll say. But thanks once again to Jason for coming on the show, and thank you very much for listening. 
If you liked what you heard, please hit the subscribe and download button on all the episodes that you listen to at the Fight Talk Podcast. If you're subscribed on iTunes or Google Play, if there's any way to rate or comment or review, please do so. It helps the podcast out so much that it'll give you some free stuff, courtesy of my sponsors that I'll mention right at the end of the show. But all you got to do is jump on there, give me a five-star rating and any review you want, and you'll get some free stuff from me. Just give me a heads up that you reviewed and that you uh, that you rated. I'll make sure to hook you up. Also, please make sure to follow me on Twitter at FightTalk underscore. That's at F-I-G-H-T-T-A-L-K underscore. Got a Facebook group as well to search Fight Talk Podcast. I have a Twitch channel that I mess around with just a little bit, still in its infant stages, hoping to ramp that up soon. That's also Fight Talk underscore on Twitch. And you can find my merchandise at whatamaneuver.net. That is whatamaneuver.net. Got t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, all different uh, colors, got multiple designs, probably another logo coming on there soon as well. Possibly some different uh, different merchandise options coming soon too for uh, whatamaneuver.net. So we'll see what happens there, but that's really the best way you can support the show as far as from a monetary standpoint. Uh, the reason being, if you get yourself a t-shirt, I get a little kickback from that, and then I put that money right back into the show to make the quality of the show better, to get better guests, and of course, to raise the funds to actually get to some of these shows live to give you guys extra content per, you know, interviews with the talent at the shows and stuff like that. So please, you know, support how you can, but I really appreciate anybody for just listening. So don't feel obligated to to support or donate or or buy things by any means, but it does help out. And I assure you that that income, if you want to call it that, just goes right back into making this show better and keep it free for everybody. Because like I've said once before, and I'll say it again, I will never charge you guys to listen to my show. So this helps to keep it free and keeps it a little easier for me to do for you guys. And speaking of people who make this thing easier for me, let's mention my sponsors and get on out of here. Let's talk first about Brian Jensen. Brian Jensen is a USA boxing instructor, MMA conditioning expert, all around just great personal trainer out of the Atlanta, Georgia area. Give him a call at 404-316-4516 and I will have a new email address for him shortly. I believe he changed his Instagram handle again, so until he stops doing that, I got to stop plugging it. Also, make sure to check out Heroes and Legends. Heroes and Legends is a pro wrestling collectible and memorabilia company. I always have such a hard time saying memorabilia. Memorabilia company specializing in action figures, vintage magazines and programs, DVDs, autographed memorabilia, and other unique pro wrestling memorabilia. Make sure to follow them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HL Pro Wrestling. And I will have some dates for them shortly. I hear they got they got some really great stuff coming up, and they got some great guests coming with them. So stay tuned for that. But stay up to date once again on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HL Pro Wrestling. And last but never least, WrestleRumble.com is the place to be for fantasy pro wrestling pick'em contests. You can win a lot of cash and big prizes at WrestleRumble.com. The Royal Rumble contest is coming up really soon. The Royal Rumble, of course, being my favorite show of the year. And from what I understand, it's actually how WrestleRumble.com started. The whole idea started with WrestleRumble a few years back, and look at what it's become. So great things they do over there. Make sure to give them a follow on Twitter, at WrestleRumble, and stay up to date with all their contests and all the prizes. I'll have a prize list for the Royal Rumble for you guys shortly. And of course, my Royal Rumble predictions and review will be sponsored by and brought to you by WrestleRumble.com. So... Thank you guys very much for listening once again, and I will be back soon. Hey,